0: Well, welcome again to Mount Hope, and we're glad that you're here. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about hope. We've been talking about hope as a series. We started off, we talked about the Christ, the hope that we have in Christ, and how it is a hope that's worth it. It is a hope that, that does not disappoint us when things get rough, when things fall, up, uh, around, uh, fall apart around us. It sustains us. We talked about hope last week, of how when questions come, we're able to defend and to reason against or reason for our faith. So today, I want to continue this conversation of, of hope, and we'll be wrapping up this series this morning, and I want to wrap up with this question. What is this hope worth? Is it a hope that's wi- worth us waiting for? And what are we waiting over? What are we waiting for? What is this hope? Hope. The nature of hope is at one point it will end, and what is the end? So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Ch- Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14, Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Soren Kierkegaard is a philosopher from the 1800s. He, he tells this story of an audience that went to see a play. While the play was going on, in backstage, a fire broke out. One of the actors runs upstage and he screams, there is a fire, get out. The audience nodded and they giggled. And, they, and the f- actor frustrated, he screams out again. He says, there is a fire, get out. The audience responded by standing up and saying, wow, what a phenomenal actor, and gave him a standing ovation. Kierkegaard, he comments, this is how the world will end, somewhat thinking it's all a joke. I'm reminded of, of about a few months ago, in the middle of winter, it's about 3 a.m. Monday morning, we're going from Sunday into Monday. My wife and I, were fast asleep, no care in the world, and all of a sudden, we, hear, we see strobe lights and we hear the alarm go off. And the thing about our apartment complex, they have an alarm in every room. They have a strobe light in every room. And when you're asleep at 3 a.m., the last thing you want to see is a strobe light and an alarm go off because we both jumped out of bed, But our response was interesting. We both woke up, but we pulled our covers over our heads, pulled the pillows and put it over our heads and said, we're not getting out of bed. It is cold outside. We're not getting out of bed. If there's a fire, we'll know. (laughs) We stayed in bed for a few more minutes. But the way they've designed this alarm, it's blaring, it's piercing, and we finally said, you know what, we gotta go. We got up, walked downstairs, and we realized we were not the only ones who thought that way. The rest of the entire building had stayed in bed, and little by little, here they come. Fortunately for us, it was a good thing that we got up, because there was a fire that that morning. It was limited to an apartment, but it made us realize... What is it about this warning? What is it about that actor screaming fire? And yet there is a sense of apathy. There's a sense of complacency saying, we've got time. I think we can sleep a little bit more. If you've been around Mount Hope or the Assemblies of God, you know that our blessed hope is a core value. It's a core doctrine. It is who we are. We have a blessed hope. So what is the nature of this hope? The nature of this hope you will find in verse 13. It is the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So then the question becomes, we have a hope for the future. We know that Jesus is coming back. But what about it, with all this knowledge, does not affect our lives? How can we can live the same way? How can we sleep like nothing's going to happen? How can we sit in our, in our chairs and applaud the actor and say nothing is going to happen? Why is it that the warning gets washed out by the everyday hustle of our lives? When we have scriptures reminding us, the preachers pre- preaching down at us, the evidence around us all pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, why do we not hear what we're supposed to hear? Why do we not see what we're supposed to see or understand what we're supposed to understand? Paul is describing a church in these couple of verses, in these few verses, he's describing a church that is responsive and is waiting for the coming of the Lord. So let's take a closer look at what Paul's description of our hope is. See, this hope, it's a hope that's worth waiting for. And if I could title my message today, it's a hope worth waiting for. It's a hope worth waiting for because it's a guaranteed hope. So if you talk, if you went out, you conducted a poll, and you asked people around you, what do you think the blessed hope? Or what do you think of the second coming? You'll get a variety of responses. Jesus' return or his second coming has fascinated people for millennia, for a couple of millennia. From the time he left till today, people have been trying to figure it out. People have been trying to fathom it. They've been trying to uh, understand it. But for some reason, it's mystery surrounding everything. Some people treat it, with, yes, he's coming. Some people say, I know exactly when he's coming. He'll come on so-and-so day. Some people say, I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical. Some people will reject it altogether. Carl Sagan, he's an astronomer for, from Cornell. He puts the second coming of Jesus Christ on the same category as the cow jumping over the moon. See, in his scientific eyes, he says, it's a, re- it's a proposition that we can reject altogether. There is no scientific proof. There is no logical stance. There is nothing. So throw it out. And then you have people like Harold Camping who says, uh, Harold Camping was this pastor who said, I know exactly on what date he'll come. And that it came and passed and yet He's not here. So how do we reconcile? What do we say? How do we explain this, call, uh, this coming? When I, was, when I was preparing, I read a skeptic, and he, he put it this way. This is his perspective. Jesus did not return as he said he would. He did not return as his disciples believed and preached that he would. Jesus it, it did not come in the disciples' generation. He didn't come in any generation. The disciples all died jesus's promise was broken the disciples believed and lived a false hope jesus didn't come then and he isn't coming in the future those who cling to this broken promise and false hope of his return will be just as disappointed as the disciples were they died looking in vain for the second coming of their christ he isn't coming again to the skeptic it's mythical To one who rejects, it's mystical. To the world, it's just unfathomable. Do they make a valid point? See, Peter and the disciples, (coughs) excuse me, they lived every day hoping that he would come back. They stood on that mountain when he was taken up and they heard his voice saying, behold, I come back. And they lived every day, but they died without seeing him. So is there some validity to the skepticism, what hope do we have if they did not see him? The first hope that we have is that it is guaranteed. It is guaranteed by the scripture. Scripture substantially backs up Christ's return. One thing to note, in all the prophecies regarding Christ's coming, only a third had to do with his birth. The other two-thirds is still talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if he fulfilled the first third, you better believe that he will fulfill the second third. He is coming, and that is the blessed hope of the church. The New Testament ripples with certainty about Jesus' coming. The theme is sounded in one way or the other in every book of of the New Testament. This is a guaranteed hope. Jesus himself affirmed his r- return in Mark thirteen twenty six and 27. This is what Jesus says. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds and with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and to the heavens. These are his own words. The angels affirm that he will come back. In Acts chapter 1 through 11, it says, after Jesus was raised up and they, and they were being ascended, the angels look at the disciples who are looking up into heaven, and he says, as they were watching, Jesus was taken up, and they said, he will come back. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into the heavens. He will be back. Jesus' coming is guaranteed. The apostles, every chance they got, they continued this theme. They said, he is coming back. Paul, more than anyone in every letter that he's writing, he says he will come back to the to the church, Th- uh, to the Thessalonian church. He writes, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and of command and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He's talking to the Corinthian church and he writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Probably a slide to be put in our nursery. You'll get in a second. (laughs) We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and the imperishable, we shall be changed. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And he's saying, This is a hope that is guaranteed if Jesus said it, if the angel said it, if Paul said it, if the scripture says this, I believe it. Amen. The word is guaranteed. Paul is saying, This is a hope worth waiting for. It is a guaranteed hope. This is a hope wait, worth waiting for. Because it's a historical hope. The church from day one, from the moment Christ was taken back into heaven, has been waiting for him. He's been waiting, um, the church has been waiting for his return. From day one till today, in every era of the church, in every moment of the church, there's always been a hope that he would come back. So when we sit here in in our chairs today and we think of this hope, it's not a new hope be comforted in the fact that every church every generation has waited on Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And just because he didn't come back doesn't mean that promise is broken. It is a guaranteed hope. It is a hope worth waiting for because it's guaranteed and it's historical. When I was in high school, I remember my dad teaching me how to drive. The first day I got into the car, he sat me. He told me, "Grab a seat, driver's seat." And he said, "Look around. Steering wheel. Look at all the buttons. Look at where the ignition. Look at the mirrors. Get familiar 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 eyes. Get familiar with what is in front of you because you'll need to know it soon." The one thing that I could not figure out was this sign right here. Yeah, Ever seen that? Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. I just didn't get the physics of it. I, didn't, it. I just couldn't wrap my head around it because as a passenger, I'd never paid attention to it. But on the first day that I got behind that wheel, I realized I have to figure out what this means. So we talked about it. We, uh, uh, he explained, went over my head. So now he has me driving. We're done with the loops around the parking lot. And he says, all right, now you get into traffic. I pull out, take a left onto the little middle yellow lane. I look in the mirror. I see an opening, and I jump in. Thought I was gracious, graceful, but I was greeted with a honk. You see, I looked at that mirror, and I saw an opening. I jumped in, but what I did not realize was the object was much closer than I thought it was. There was a car that was coming right at me, and I said, I have space. I'll jump in. Objects are much closer than they seem to appear. We have a similar response when we talk about the coming of the Lord. When we say the Lord will come, we often say, I think I have a little more time. I think... He may be a while, but the scripture says this return is an imminent return. It is about to happen at any moment. You may think you have all the time in the world. You may think all, everything that is around you is yours, but the reality is his coming is soon. His, his coming is imminent. His coming is closer than it appears this hope is worth waiting for because it is an imminent hope. The word imminent denotes that it could happen at any time. He, Jesus, The way Jesus describes his coming, he describes it in two ways. I will come back as a house owner, a house owner who is traveling to a far country, and he leaves his servants in charge and he says, take care of the house, take care of the affairs of the house. And he says, as a house owner, I'll come back and it'll be almost as if I come back and I find my servants asleep. I find my servants just doing whatever they please. Or he says, I'll come back as a thief in the night. A thief does not announce his coming. He does not want a surprise, or he he just wants a surprise. He doesn't want a welcoming party. He comes in when you are least expecting it. Jesus says, when a thief comes in, we're too often caught not watching. We're too often caught not expecting it. And he says that to the church, my, tr- my coming is imminent. My coming may happen when you are least expecting it. Maybe how about when we are least expecting it while we are right here. My coming is imminent. This hope is worth waiting for because it is an imminent hope. This hope is worth waiting for because it's guaranteed by the scriptures. It is guaranteed by Jesus himself, by the angels, by the apostles. This hope is guaranteed, uh, is worth waiting for because it's a historical hope. It's been ho- held onto for generations. This hope is uh, uh, worth waiting for because it's an imminent hope. But what does that have to do with you and me personally in the moment right now? What does this have to do with the way we live, wh- with, uh, with our families, with, with who we are Today? This hope is worth waiting for because of the grace that makes it happen. Let's turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The beginning part of this verse, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self control, upright, and godly life. Grace came first. Grace came in when everything was falling apart. And it, it, it first, the first thing that could have happened, we walked away from God. We walked away in sin. We were broken. We, were, we, were, we had that relationship cut off completely. And then grace steps in. Grace took the form of a Savior. Grace took the form of a little baby born in Bethlehem. Grace took the form of a Savior that would be, t- that would be crucified, that would be beaten, that would die for our sins. Because of grace, we have a hope. This grace, it says, it comes to all people, no matter who you are, Israelite or not. If you are from the Middle East, from Africa, from Asia, no matter who you may be, if you are a man or a woman, if you're young or if you're you're old, however you may think of yourself, however you may identify yourself, whatever economic status you have, no matter who you are, he says, he's come to all people. This wo- hope is worth waiting for because grace rescued us. This ho- grace comes first and then comes glory. We celebrate Advent towards the end of the year. We celebrate Advent because he came the first time, but there is another Advent that's coming and that is the coming of the, go- of the glory of the Lord. This hope is worth waiting for because Glory will rescue us. If grace rescued us back then, glory will rescue us coming soon. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 through 28, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, and just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What God's grace begun... In our lives through the coming of Christ, he will complete it on that day. What he has begun in salvation, what he has begun in transforming our lives, what he has begun in handling our sin, he will complete it on that day. When he deals with our sins, our sins back then have been taken care of. The penalty of sin has been taken care of. And in the present, he's helping us to overcome it day by day. And in the future, when he comes, he will take us out of it completely. This hope is worth waiting for because of the rescue of glory. This hope is worth waiting for because it is good news. You see, when he says, there comes glory, but there also comes judgment. And for the church it is good news because we have accepted the work of the Lord. It is not terrifying. It is not something that is against us, but it is good news. This is a, this is a hope that is worth waiting for because it brings good news. This is a hope that is, good, is worth waiting for because it's glorious. Just a few moments ago, we talked about the shooting that happened in Oregon. Look around us. There is pain, there is suffering. Every moment we turn the news on, all we are bombarded with is someone killed the other, or there is a war that's happening around the world, or there is another terrorist threat or an attack, and there is something going on. Just this last year, we had one of the biggest scares with Ebola, over 11,000 lives lost in one year. Things are falling apart around us. Sickness is abounding. Pain is abounding. Death is abounding. Our loved ones are lost to cancer, are lost to different diseases. The pain is around us. But what makes this hope distinct is this hope will take care of our pain. This hope will remove All our tears. In Revelation 21, verse 4, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. A removal of pain. It is glorious because he comes in his glory, but it's also glorious because he restores us. He restores us to who we were meant to be. This hope is worth waiting for because of the rescue of grace. It's worth waiting for because the rescue of glory, it is good news. It is a hope that will take away our pain and suffering. So do you live with that reality? Do you live knowing that Christ can come back at any moment? And if we did live with that reality, if we did pay attention to the actor who was screaming out, there is a fire, or if we lived in the reality of knowing that this alarm is screaming because there is a fire, and if we lived in response to, those, to that stimuli, if we lived in response to what the Bible says, how would that affect our lives? You see, this hope is not passive. It is active every day. In 2010, Chile had a severe mine collapse. In August, on August 5th, 33 miners were trapped 2,300 feet underground. The miners would, spend up ending, would end up spending 69 days below the Earth's surface before they could be rescued. As everyone celebrated their rescue, they asked them, what was it that kept you going? It was, and their response was, it was our hope, in God, and our hope that you would rescue us, you see, we all need hope, we need hope that keeps us, we need hope that will sustain us. They knew that rescue was coming, even though sixty nine days had passed before it happened, they knew hope there was a hope that they could hold on to. This is a hope worth waiting for because it's active in our everyday lives. When we are under intense persecution, when those, those few people who passed away this last week, when there was a gun pointed at their head, the only thing that they had, re- they had to rely on was the hope that they would meet their Savior. When there is persecution around the world, the hope that they have is that Christ will come back and all this will be done. When ISIS is attacking Christians and, and Christians are being uh, destroyed around Iraq and Syria and all, uh, the surrounding areas, the hope that they have is that they will see their Christ soon. Amen. This is a hope that sustains us. It is active in our everyday lives. It, it, produces, it produces a reason for us to live. But what about for those of us who don't experience such hardship? We don't experience trial compared to those around the world. We're not hunted down or separated from our families. Sometimes our comforts can get in the way of our hope. Sometimes the lack of trouble, the lack of persecution can get in the way of hope. Sometimes our ambitions and our desires can get in the way of our blessed hope. In the face of a promotion or a next business deal, do we pray, Lord, come back tomorrow. Do we pray, Lord, come back when I've achieved a few more of my goals, when I've had more time with my children, when I walk my daughter down the aisle? Are these things wrong? No, they're not. But these things are secondary to the hope that we have. Lord, come back any moment. Come back soon. Come back whenever you please because I am ready. Everything else that I hope for are in submission to my ultimate hope. Hope is an ultimate reality. It gives shape and meaning to our present. The fact that Jesus is coming will define the way we live today. This leaves room for all the other hopes. It's not saying you get rid of all these other things that you want. You want a a good job. You want a good family. You want a good house. You want all these things. It's good, but let it be under submission to that ultimate hope. Achieve everything. Live a good life. Live in submission to God, live in, in, in harmony with everybody, but let it be under the submission to that ultimate hope. Yes. This is a hope worth waiting for. Paul writes to the Corinthians church, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Yes. Hope is forward-looking and forward-moving. It influences every moment of our lives and therefore it revolutionizes and transforms the present. Paul writes that the person who waits eagerly for the Lord through grace, trains to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, learns to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Does this is hope affect the way you spend Does this hope affect the way you're generous? Does your accountant look at at your checkbook at the end of the year and says, you give this much money to this much? Is he surprised? Or does it look like how the world spends its money? Does this affect the way we rejoice over things? Does it affect what we rejoice over and what we grieve over? It's more than the final championships. It's more than the Super Bowl. It's our rejoicing should encompass much more than that. It should go beyond, beyond the everyday. It should go, we should rejoice with what God, what God rejoices over. We should rejoice when a soul comes to the Lord. We should rejoice when a sickness is healed. We should rejoice when an addiction is broken. We should rejoice when the prodigal comes home. The hope that we have changes, our, uh, changes the things we rejoice over. See, for Christians... Our life is not a waiting game or a spectator sport. We're given our days as a gift from God who intends us to use them well. You see, back in the day, sloth or laziness used to be a deadly sin, but for some reason, not so much today. It is a premature death. To spend life waiting, drifting, watching TV, playing cards, killing time is a waste of a natural resource. Some Christians drive themselves crazy to achieve, but for the most part, Others go to their graves early, just waiting and waiting. Does the hope influence the way we live today? As I conclude here, Viktor Frankl once accounted for life in a concentration camp. He said, he talks about fellow prisoners whose hope of release began to wither. They had given up everything. They'd given up all hope. But one morning, they heard that the war was on and it would be over by Christmas time. Suddenly, people, uh, the people in that camp, they had withered away. They had given up all hope. They began to smile. They began to rejoice. They began to work. No matter what threats were, came against them before, they would not do anything. But suddenly, when hope came, their demeanors changed. But sadly, Christmas time passed away. It passed on and no rescue came. Their hope had withered away. People began to die because they had no more hope. You see, we all need hope. Hope sustains us. Hope is our lifeline. It is this hope that we have. It is a guaranteed hope. It's a historical hope. And I'll call the worship team up. And it's an imminent hope. It's a hope that is active in our lives. It is a hope that deals with, th- that declares our Savior is coming back soon. It is a hope that's worth waiting for. Yes. Today, there are three kinds of people in this room. Some of you have been Christians for as long as you can remember. You experience this hope every day. That's what drives you. That's what you're fueled by. You, you lift this out, and I'm thankful to the Lord for you. But there are some, the second kind of person, You've experienced Christ, but for some reason, that passion is not there. Some reason along the way, we've lost sight that Christ is coming back soon. I would ask that you would take this time, you would take this moment to ask the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart, to deal with, Lord, help me live every moment like this is my last moment here because you may come back at any time. And there's a third person. Maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe this might be the first time you're hearing about Jesus. Maybe you've never encountered the grace that came first. This is a moment to meet Jesus. He is waiting for you. He is seeking you out. And I would ask that you would take this moment to pray and to ask, Lord, am I ready? Am I, have I met your grace? Has it transformed my life and my life? And has this hope transformed my life? I would ask that you take this moment to pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, this is a guaranteed hope no matter what the world may say, no matter how things, how bleak things may look. Father, we have a hope that you will come back, that your son will come back and receive us. It is a glorious hope. It is a hope that that it can happen at any time. Father, we are thankful. Lord, I pray for those who have not encountered this grace and encountered this hope. I pray that you would work. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.